The views, comments, and opinions of the following program do not necessarily reflect those of Morris Media Studios, MorrisMediaLive.com, or its affiliates. Listener discretion is advised. Beloved community, welcome to Faith Without Borders. I'm your host, Pastor Calvin Sauls. Uh, yes, that is my man, Labi Sifre. Uh, powerful song. Um, I, uh, that song is from South Africa, of course. Um, Labi is from South Africa, uh, where I was born. Uh, but that song just brings uh, awesome memories back uh, from Freedom School. Uh, and that's the theme song that we would sing with our scholars uh, every day uh, during the six weeks of Freedom School uh, we would have, whether it's at Community Coalition or uh, when I was at home in United Methodist Church. So uh, that's going to be our theme song, beloved, for the next 10 weeks uh, as we kick off uh, this uh, series um, uh, for the next 10 weeks. It is uh, entitled uh, Intersectional Convergence. Organizing and Mobilizing for Inclusivity, Equality, and Equity. It's on and popping, y'all, as we continue to, of course, uh, fight and face the consequences of what looks to become one of the deadliest global pandemics. 
and experience the activation of courageous movements for racial equity around the world. And as we prepare for the most consequential elections in this yet-to-be United States of America, in this 10-week series here at Faith Without Borders, we will examine the critical issues facing our local, national, and global communities and explore strategic solutions for long-term transformative impact. That's what we're going to be about for the next 10 weeks. We're going to go deep. Uh, we're going to be in this, you know, for the long haul. We want to educate you, mobilize you, so that we can educate and organize ourselves. Yes, organizing people power for progress for such a time as this. Our faith is not a form of escapism. Our faith is a call to activism. That's the Jesus that I know. Uh, before he was a savior, he was a human rights activist. Just check him out. He was about children's rights. Suffer the little children to come unto me. He was about women's rights when he talks to the Samaritan woman and he breaks barriers that was, uh, that was set up for him. You know, uh, he was about uh, equity and equality. Uh, that's what our salvation, our redemption is all about. It is to contribute to planetary liberation. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Yet we know that there are forces, schemes, and systems that continue to seek to deny the planet its integrity as well as human beings their dignity. So we're going to get deep into that, and that's why Lobby comes along and he says to us, the higher you build your barriers, the taller we will become. Uh, so uh, as we see, you know, uh, the uh, walls of Jericho uh, right now, for me, it is the union buildings in South Africa as well as the White House. Uh, we need to continue to do whatever we need to do to make sure uh, that we restore integrity to democracy, that we facilitate transparency in democracy, and, of course, that we are about accountability. That's what it's about for us uh, as we uh, go uh, deep and as we continue to do the work that we can do. Why? Because there is something inside each one of us that is so strong. And guess what? I know that we can make it. Why? Because those who've gone before us, they've made it, and they're waiting for us at this place of intersection and at this place of conversion. Yes, they're waiting for us. Miriam Makeba, they're waiting for us. Nelson Mandela, they are waiting for us. Rosa Parks, they're waiting for us. Malcolm X, they're waiting for us. You know, uh, Brother Lumumba, they're waiting for us. You know, uh, in so many ways, uh, those that we've uh, lost. George Floyd, they're waiting for us. Eric Gardner, they're very waiting for us. Brianna Taylor, they are at the intersection and they're waving at us to make sure that we activate and that we are awake to do what it is that we need to do for such a time as this. Intersectionality, convergence, making our way to equality, inclusivity, and of course, equity. And today I have uh, two brothers, comrades on the front lines joining me uh, from uh, Community Coalition, one of the organizations that I uh, am proud to be associated with and work with uh, on so many different ways. Uh, they're celebrating their 30th anniversary this year, and I'm so glad to have 
the lead justice organizer uh, with us this morning. That is none other than Gilbert Johnson. And then the director for, communi- for, for, um, for civic engagement, Kirk Samuels, is with us as well. Uh, and we're going to go deep. We're going to celebrate wins, kind of look at what we got to do uh, as we make our way to uh, November. We're going to talk about the census and kind of just get into all of that. Uh, so good to have you with us, beloved, and uh, looking forward to an exciting time for us. We're also going to uh, open up the phone lines for those who want to join us with comments and conversations. We're going to ask you to keep it real short now. Don't come and try to, you know, read your dissertation. Uh, make your questions to the point. Uh, and that phone number, of course, is 323-815-4204. Uh, you can join us. Uh, I know many of you do at Morris Media. Um, live.com and you can also check us out at uh, morrismediastudios.com so that's uh, great for us we're going to start off with a video uh, celebrating a um, extraordinary win for us here in the city and the county of Los Angeles uh, around reimagine Los Angeles uh, Alberto Retana who is the president and CEO of Community Coalition uh, shares around Reimagine LA. And the thing that we want to just um, let you know is, you know, the work that we're doing around faith-rooted community organizing is not just about resistance. It is also about reimagination. Uh, and you'll hear that, you know, in, in the justice work that we've done, as well as, you know, uh, as we, you know, uh, fight exclusion, you know, uh, uh, we work to reimagine inclusion uh, around the uh, census to make sure everybody is in the count. And uh, we have a video we're going to play right now, you know, of uh, Alberto Letana. Let's uh, uh, receive him, hear what he has to say, and then on the other end, I'll bring in, you know, uh, my two brothers, and then we keep on keeping on. Reimagine LA, Alberto Retana. Hi, uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, let me just acknowledge the colleagues uh, on the phone. I'm just so proud to be in solidarity with them and proud to be in this moment. This moment is huge. It's monumental, it's a watershed moment. As Patrice Cullors has been saying, it's a, um, a forward movement moment, it's a forward stance moment. It's an offensive moment for the community, for millions of people to take to the streets and tens of thousands, close to hundreds of thousands in LA to be taking the streets to create the conditions uh, that we have right now is, is, is monumental and will save, not only change the trajectory of our, of our, of our region and our country, but save lives and create prosperous lives and create thriving communities. And that's what this is about. Community Coalition, uh, we were formed 30 years ago in response to the criminalization of black and brown people at the height of the crack epidemic. Uh, an, uh, an epidemic that was acutely impacting the black community and a criminalization and police response that was destroying our communities. We have fought for 30 years to reimagine safety and investment away from punitive imprisonment and criminalization towards prevention, treatment and support. The frontline folks in our fight are not are, are the grandmothers and grandfathers, the neighborhood residents, the high school students, uh, black and brown folks that oftentimes don't get covered in the media, but are the ones that are essentially uh, impacted. Their children are impacted. They themselves are impacted by the criminalization we seek to change. South Los Angeles in particular has been an epicenter of divestment from support for decades and also the epicenter of the hyperinvestment of criminalization that was resulted in the breakup of families, in the creation of debt, in the unemployment, in the loss of life. 
in the mass imprisonment. And it's time to change that. When we're talking about reimagining Los Angeles, what we're doing is we are reimagining a community that puts black lives at the center, that brings brown people to the center, that says we're no longer gonna ignore those folks that we've turned our backs on for so long. We're no longer gonna divest from things that we know help people. The things that white Los Angeles benefits from, treatment, jobs, employment. And that's what this is ultimately about and flipping the script and putting the investment in and making the structural change and the permanent change to create a floor, uh, a 10% investment as a floor that hopefully this movement will continue to pressure and reinvest more and more resources so that the folks in the nooks and crannies of our region that go unnoticed, whether it's South LA or Pacoima or the East Side, that we now are gonna put you first, we're gonna keep our families together, but we're no longer gonna criminalize you, we're no longer gonna kill you, we're no longer gonna ignore you. What we're gonna do is we invest in you because we believe in you. And I believe that the movement and the folks on this call and the coalition that has been built is gonna be key to that victory in November. We urge everybody to vote for this. We celebrate it and to make this a mandate and continue to put pressure on those that have been resistant to progressive change. And it's just great to be a part of a forward stance and to be a part of this moment. So thanks for having me, I appreciate this. All right, that was Alberto Retana. Of course, he talks about structural and permanent uh, change. And uh, that was just extraordinary. That took place uh, about a week or so ago where we were able to get the Board of Supervisors in the County of Los Angeles to vote on putting a measure on the ballot uh, around, you know, how to, you know, uh, reinvest, you know, in the uh, uh, health, the well-being, safety, uh, as well as, you know, the healing, you know, of our communities here in you know, um, uh, L.A. County, but also uh, specifically in communities such as South Los Angeles, uh, Pocoima, and, uh, and other communities uh, where we have experienced, you know, hyper-criminalization and dehumanization. The movement for black lives, beloved, is all about the humanization uh, of uh, kinfolk, of black folk, of sisters and brothers, uh, seeing that we are still, you know, dealing, you know, with the uh, challenges, the after effects, you know, of, you know, uh, slavery, Jim Crow, uh, and now, of course, uh, what's being, you know, done around the post office. Uh, but we've had several wins, and so I'm going to invite Gilbert in. Uh, Gilbert is, you know, the lead organizer at Community Coalition and doing an extraordinary work organizing all of us. I am uh, part of his, you know, uh, team at uh, community coalition, and he has us hopping here, there, and everywhere, uh, and uh, very engaged. I uh, love this brother and appreciate him uh, for his passion, his commitment, and his vision, and his courage in the work that he's doing. Gilbert, good morning, and thanks for taking time away from all the childrens, all the childrens that you have. Uh, hi to the wife there. Uh, thanks for taking some time away to join us this morning. Good morning. Absolutely, absolutely. Good morning, brother. <laughs> Brother Sauce, uh, great to be here with you all. Yeah. Just uh, truly excited in this this movement moment, like what you mentioned, or what Alberto mentioned, um, Patrice Colors says a lot. This is definitely a movement moment, and we're seeing a lot of movement right now, more than we've probably ever seen yeah. um, in the history of L.A. County. And so uh, we're keeping the ball rolling, keeping it going. Yes. And um, just, just a great just great to be a part of this work, you know, being a native of South Central Los Angeles, one of the historically, uh, one of the most 
marginalized communities probably in the, the country, you know, um, when you think about the history of South LA. And so um, to be leading a lot of the criminal justice reform work is truly an honor. Um, yeah. It's mm -hmm. a blessing. And yes, Reimagine LA is one of those uh, game changing campaigns that the people was able to um, win. We, we haven't won it fully because we have to, you know, vote. Got to vote on it. Yeah. Yes. Yes. In so, November. Yeah. But I mean, just getting it on the ballot is it says a lot and it speaks to the current moment and it speaks to the organizing, the deep organizing that we've been doing. Um, mm -hmm. You know, uh, yes, I'm the lead justice organizer at Coco, yeah. 30 years, a 30 year old anti-racist social justice organization based in the heart of South Central. Um, you know, we were founded by Congress member Karen Bass and the vision and the, um, the grounding and foundation that she laid for us. We are still carrying that on um, 30 years later. Mm -hmm. And so. Um, right. And you, yeah, you're right about that. And, 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 you know, Congresswoman Bass 30 years ago, of course, you know, uh, then, you know, uh, a health professional and, you know, wanting to make a difference around moving us towards thriving communities in South L.A., really, I mean, uh, grounded community coalition within unity uh, and solidarity between black and brown. Uh, uh, that's not something new. So folk need to get to know and understand, you know, the history of COCO, you know, around just that intentional bridging, you know, of unity and, and solidarity. And it now has, it, it has come together in so many ways. We still have to work at it. You know, uh, because it's always divide and conquer. Uh, those forces are out there, you know, uh, for us. Right. Gilbert, uh, just uh, share with us a little bit some of the wins that we've had. Because sometimes, you know, when you're in the front lines, you're in the struggle, you're on the battlefield, you forgot what you've won. You forgot what you've accomplished, you know. Uh, right. So just, I mean, take them one at a time, you know, what we've been able to do you know, in the uh, the area of, you know, justice in the city and county of Los Angeles? Yes, sir. Um, so, you know, um, just I'm going to go back to uh, last year because mm -hmm. uh, we had some very significant wins. Um, one, starting with, and so when you think about decades of organizing this current moment, um, you definitely uh, contribute to the moment we're in to um, just organizers, our ancestors that were fighting fighting hard, endlessly, um, tirelessly, right, giving their lives to the movement. And so, um, you know, last year we were able to shut down a jail plan, a $3.7 billion jail plan um, here in L.A. County where the Board of Supervisors for uh, almost a decade were planning to build a new women's jail, um, Mira Loma uh, um, jail, a women's jail. And so we said no. Of course, the uh, bunch of groups got together, organized, uh, and showed up strong last year. And um, they also wanted to turn, they meaning the Board of Supervisors, wanted to turn the uh, Men's Central Jail into a mental health jail. And we said no, and uh, got that shut down as well. And so when we talk about uh, our justice reinvestment work, which is really rooted and grounded in um, redirecting savings out of uh, the system of mass incarceration and into communities with very high need. Um, that's really what the work that we've been taking on. Um, that was the work that we were founded on, you know, 30 years ago. And that's the work that we're leading um, to this day. And so 
a lot of the money that was going into um, expanding prisons and more cages, uh, some of it has been um, already reallocated to what uh, is called the alternatives to incarceration work. Mm -hmm. And that work um, is phenomenal uh, in itself because we had never seen that level of collaboration with county um, leaders and county agencies and, and the community, most importantly. Um, and so through that work, we were actually able to uh, pass about 114 recommendations that were driven and created, that were created and driven by the community. Uh, and so the Alternatives to Incarceration Work Group was a huge collaboration between um, philanthropy, you know, um, county uh, entities like the Department of Health Services, Office of Diversionary Entry, uh, you know, Department of Public Health, Alternative Public Defenders Office, just so many folks came together. Um, and why I say most importantly, the people, because, uh, you know, COCO Community Coalition was one of those lead organizations involved in that work. Um, um, you know, Justice, Justice LA, Youth Justice Coalition, just a huge effort mm -hmm. to build out a community-based system of care. And earlier this year, uh, we, we got all the recommendations passed unanimously. It was a five uh all five supervisors voted in favor of the report, which is really um, a roadmap to how we invest in people, how we invest in communities, um, and how we invest into sustainability and life, and not jails, not more imprisonment, not more criminalization and victimization. And so um, that really set the tone, the alternatives to incarceration work really set the tone, um, and Coco, you know, we led the community engagement part. Uh, and just this past Thursday, we had a, a, an amazing meeting, uh, virtual meeting mm -hmm. with folks that, you know, have come home just within the last week, within the last month, within the last year. Uh, and it was just very powerful because uh, a lot of people are prioritizing investing into communities of color that have historically been divested in and suffered from, you know, disinvestment um and an over-reliance on policing and law enforcement mm -hmm. uh, to support uh the needs in the community so you know at coco we're really about um tr transforming the social and economic conditions um that foster crime and addiction um and violence uh you know by fighting poverty mm -hmm. and so when you think about the uh budget priorities of the city, the county, the, the state, um, and really the nation when it comes to uh, the focus on building out the prison industrial complex, uh, the ATI set us up and positioned us for ATI alternatives to incarceration yeah. set us up mm -hmm. for uh, Reimagine LA, right. um, which is going to be on the November ballot and why that's so significant um, is because it's taking 10% of already existing um, county revenues uh, and then, you know, redirecting it uh, back towards housing, back towards uh, treatment, back towards youth development, business development. I mean, it's a very comprehensive uh, initiative. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, we believe wholeheartedly that had the, the state and the county taking this approach decades ago during the crack cocaine epidemic, mm -hmm. uh, 
we see we be in a much different um, situation. And so, uh, you know, L.A. County Jail has reduced this jail population by close to 6,000 people. Um, the prison system here in California has reduced this jail population by um, close to 4,000 people. And yet we've seen no stark increases in crime and violence. And so when we say invest in life, invest in people, invest in our young people, invest in futures, invest in wellness and health, um, we're not, you know, the, the data backs it up that yeah. when you when you help people, when you meet needs and when you bring resources to historically underserved communities like mine, like South Central, like parts of the valley, like parts of East L.A., you know, um, parts of Long Beach, Pacoima, Pomona, um, then we will see um, significant decreases in crime and people will um, will have much better outcomes. And so. Um, you know, reimagine L.A. that you think about the county spending close to half of its budget. It's like a thirty two billion dollar budget on law enforcement. And it's time out for that. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm the lead with our people's budget L.A. Um, work, which was successful in um, shutting down, you know, Mayor Garcetti's plan to invest one hundred and fifty million more dollars into the LAPD. And so we said no again, and um, we won that. And we're currently in the process of getting those dollars uh, reallocated back to communities. Yeah. Um, you know, Herb Wesson, you know, it's really a, a historical moment because we're seeing some pretty significant leadership from our elected officials, the folks that we put in office. And again, when you think about the uh, state's spending priorities and how we spent a trillion dollars on building out the prison industrial complex um, over the last 30, 40 years and how we've defunded education, how we've defunded mental health, right? It's, it's the time is now to definitely get those resources and those dollars uh, towards the programs that we know communities need, especially with COVID. Any talks from our elected officials around uh, budget cuts and reducing cuts to um, highly needed services uh, in communities like mine is is clearly an attack on black and brown folks. And so, you know, we, we're stepping up, we're standing up, we're saying no. Um, the alternatives to incarceration work also led to work that um, Coco was involved in with closing down Men's Central Jail. And so when we think about where our tax dollars are going and the community already defined um, our spending priorities couple years ago when we did uh, a people's poll and it created the people's first platform, people's first platform, the community overwhelmingly said, we do not want more money for police and sheriffs. We do not want more money for, um, you know, criminalization in cages. We want more programs. We want better parks. We want mm -hmm. more access to healthy food and better education for our young folks. We want more youth gang prevention and youth development programs and early childhood education like the, the community here in south central specifically city council district eight um gave us our priorities spending priorities and so we know what the people want um but we also know what the system wants um which is the status quo and we're we're fighting that vehemently and we are um you know stepping up more now than ever yeah and so yeah, Great man, time. this this is this is exciting, man. This is so exciting, and 
Uh, as you say, it's a long time coming, and we want to remind folk, you know, these changes don't happen overnight. You've got to be in this for the long haul. Don't think just right. because you sent a tweet or you retweeted something or you went to one march or you learned one new song, you know, uh, and everybody is putting out Black Lives Matter songs now, of course, you know, mm. that, um, uh, that you've done with your work. You know, uh, you need to right. understand that, you know, it takes, you know, uh, as you mentioned, decades of organizing and the whole... Right. Uh, uh, the work around this is organize to mobilize and catalyze, mm -hmm. you know, and the, and, 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 and the catalytic aspect of this is so many organizations coming together from so many different sectors, from the faith community, the philanthropic community, the grassroots organization. And of course, you know, now elected officials are jumping onto the bandwagon, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and we're not surprised by that. But um, but that's kind of how, you know, how it works sometimes. That's why people power for progress is key in terms of how it is that we need to have, you know, participatory budget setting, you know, uh, because this is a democracy. And if we are not at the table, we are on the menu. And if we are on the menu, that means a democracy becomes a plutocracy, right? Uh, and it's all special interest. And it's sad to see, you know, how many elected officials, elected officials that look like us They've kind of gone along with that. And the other painful thing, and King talks about this, you know, in his letter from Birmingham Jail, is, you know, liberal and progressive whites have kind of, they've gone along with it and they've played along. But what we are saying is the time has come that you cannot flirt with the ongoing, you know, uh, institutionalization of white supremacy. You know, uh, uh, if we call ourselves in L.A. City and County a progressive place, then let's be about it. You know, right. that's not just right. a, you know, a shallow, you know, a statement that we want to make. So, yeah, thanks for all your speeches, you know, uh, but we need some substance now in terms of policy that can move us towards equality, equity, as well as inclusivity. That's what it's about, you know, as we uh, move forward with this. Gilbert, you mentioned these industrial complex, you know, um, uh, the prison industrial complex. I believe that law enforcement is an industrial complex. I also believe that you know, uh, officers such as the district attorney, these are industrial complexes, you know, uh, and the, for me, that's the three, you know, um, the three-headed uh, challenge that we got to deal with, you know, uh, right now. And you can add to that, you know, of course, you know, uh, 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 you know, folk, folk in city government, folk in county government, folk in state government, and then, of course, folk in national government, you know, and how they are all in cahoots, connecting with each other, coordinating with each, with each other, communicating with each other, just to get the cycle of updated and upgraded schemes and systems of slavery going. And right. uh, we got to call it out. And so when we talk about, you know, uh, defunding the police, and some folk are just alarmed by that, I am so glad you mentioned all the other programs that's been defunded, right? And nobody said a word about that. Right. But uh, now all of a sudden when we deal, you know, with the law enforcement industrial complex that seek to criminalize and dehumanize, you know, black and brown people, all of a sudden folk, you know, got issues, you know, uh, uh, about that. We, when we get Kirk on, we're going to talk about the post office thing, because I do believe that if you are against defunding the police and you are for defunding the post office or you're, sil you're silent about that, then clearly, you know, uh, you are uh, acquiescing, 
you know, to ongoing institutional racism, you know, uh, as it plays itself out. Uh, tell us a little bit, Gilbert, uh, uh, you know, we talked earlier on about the whole solidarity and uh, unity piece. I know Alberto and I, we talk about that a whole lot. Uh, and first we were all uh, uh, gung-ho about uh, unity, uh, but then, you know, the conversation did shift to solidarity, you know, and what that needs to look like for such a time as this. Certainly COVID-19 has invited us into a deep sense of mutuality. So how, uh, how do all of these connect now as we, you know, uh, are called upon to do what we need to do around organizing, mobilizing, catalyzing for such a time as this? So uh, moving from unity to solidarity um, means just having a true, uh, genuine, firm commitment to the movement um, and the moment at hand. So, you know, in organizing, we always say uh, we're building a movement, not a moment. This is not a moment. But uh, because of the global uh, you know, uprisings that we're seeing right now is, is the time to be more bold, um, more strategic, um, more organized, more connected than ever, because we have the um, the eyes and the ears of a lot of the folks that we vote and put in office and into positions of power. And so we know that, you know, it was laws and policies that uh, kind of socially engineered the conditions that we live in in communities like mine, you know, South LA. And so it's going to be, you know, politics, laws and policies that undo a lot of that, um, the, the racism that we, systemic racism that we've seen um, from government systems here in in the United States and really across the, uh, the world. Uh, when we talk about anti-blackness and how it's baked and embedded into uh, you know, the very fabric of every system, every institution and every structure um, of the our country here in the United States. And so um, solidarity is, you know, when when you called on stepping up, whether it's, it's making a call, you know, one one of the things I like to highlight is over the last month, couple months, uh, one one board of supervisors meeting, we had over 17000 people um, either calling in to share their story, which is powerful because it's it's our stories that connect us. It's our stories that um, tug at the heart. You know, it's our stories that move people towards action. Um, and, you know, either they called in or they submitted public comment. That's solidarity. That's organizing. That's folks showing up at a level um, that we've never seen before. And so when we think about the, the, the current work and opportunities at hand. There's so much at stake in November. And so it's, it's time out for acquiescence. It's time out for silence. It's time out for sitting on your hands um, and not, you know, talking about it, but not being about it because, uh, you know, the, the implications of what's coming in November, um, that there will be implications for years to come. Like when we win Reimagine LA, we're talking about uh, decades to come of investment uh, into the the much needed social safety net programs um, that you know that community communities like South Central need, and so you know Proposition Twenty, which is fighting um, to undo all that we did with Prop Forty Seven and bringing 
um, hundreds of thousands of people home, people getting their records clean, um, you know, Prop 57, giving folks uh, uh, opportunity to a fair trial in court. Uh, you think all the wins that we've been doing to combat the crime control era, mm-hmm. Prop 20 is working to undo all of that. And so, you know, no on Proposition 20, and I'm off Coco, so I, I'm not doing this um, on Coco time, so I can actually speak from like a 501c4 perspective. Uh, so when we talk about Jackie Lacey, um, you know, 618 people being killed since she's been um, in office and only one officer being prosecuted, right? That, and who's funding? You know, if you think about these systems that have historically oppressed us, you always got to follow the money. And so when we talk about who's putting money behind these people, these politicians, behind initiatives that um, are in that combating uh, what what our progressive movement is working to implement, you got to follow the money. And so police unions, the, um, you know, ALADs, the, the sheriff's unions, the uh, police protectively, all these folks are funneling millions of dollars into uh, Jackie Lacey because she upholds those systems, you know, and so huge effort. We're going to be leading a huge effort to yeah. oust her and replace her with, um, you know, George Gascon, um, who has a proven track record of uh, leading progressive initiatives. You know, he's a co-author of Proposition 47. What I mentioned, he, you know, he, he he received death threats in Arizona um, for the uh, transformative work that he was leading as uh, DA and even being a former cop, you know, you know, I, yeah. So defund the police, <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm not going to go all into the, um, the police so situation, just his yeah. track record, you know, um, it speaks for itself. Yeah. And so that's and, why, you know, in, in November, the, the district attorney has such an integral part in the criminal injustice system and why LA County had the largest jail, um, you know, with the largest incarcerator in the world, you know, the district attorney has a huge role in that. And so, you know, got bail reform on the um, initiative. So yes, on 25 to eliminate cash bail and, um, you know, another form of suppression and criminalization and capitalization off the misery of black and brown folks specifically uh and so uh you you know voting proposition 17 um giving our uh you know folks on parole the right to vote which creates a huge um voting block you know when we talk about democratic power and democracy absolutely so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna bring that quad together gilbert and that is you know um uh, those who make the policy our elected officials right that's one of the uh, aspect of the quads you know, uh, those who enforce it, you know, uh, law enforcement, uh, those who prosecute or choose not to prosecute, you know, that's the DA's office and all mm-hmm. of our, you know, mm-hmm. uh, 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 law, uh, uh, legal folk around that. And then, of course, the prison yeah. industrial complex. That's the, I call it the quad factor, you know, uh, yep. that continues, you know, to figure out ways, schemes and systems and policies, legislation, if you will, you know, uh, to just uh, continue to marginalize you know, uh, uh, black and brown uh, people, people of color, as well as, you know, poor white people, you know, uh, because uh, this thing has a, uh, it's all racial, it's all class, you know, around that. But we know, 
you know, uh, that um, the liberation of all people, as we've talked about, it starts with, you know, the liberation and freedom of, you know, of black folk uh, around that. We want to uh, transition because, you know, uh, we know that we still have much to do. We've had a lot of wins, but we still got a long way to go. We got about 10 weeks or so until November the 3rd, you know, uh, and, um, and so we want to make sure that, you know, we stay engaged. Uh, there continue to be schemes and systems to see, you know, how we can uh, engage in intimidation and suppression. Intimidation of folk participating in the census and uh, the suppression uh, of the vote. You know, uh, even, though, even though we're celebrating women's suffrage, the, the suppression of the vote, you know, uh, that continues to uh, take place. And, of course, the new assault uh, around this, you know, is around the post office, you know, uh, that, um, uh, that Trump is, you know, uh, is attacking with his, you know, uh, minion in there, you know, uh, the postal general uh, that's just kind of, you know, following, you know, uh, marching orders from a white supremacist, you know, um, uh, White House. And so we just got to be uh, aware of that. And so Kirk Samuels, you know, is the director for civic engagement at Community Coalition, uh, and uh, uh, he's going to uh, come on in and we can talk a little bit about that. But uh, to transition us, uh, the census is so key uh, because it, of course, for me, represents three R's. The first one is respect. Uh, the second one is uh, representation. And the third one is resources. Uh, and so Kirk is going to join us you know, uh, to talk about this. We're going to play uh, just one video about the census. And then uh, on the other end, Kirk is going to come on and uh, we're going to break it down around census, voter, you know, uh, suppression and mobilization. Let's watch this video. In America, we all count, no matter where we call home, how we worship, or who we love. And the 2020 census is how that great promise is kept, because this is the count that informs where hundreds of billions in funding will go each year for things like education, health care, and programs that touch us all. Complete the census online, by phone, or by mail. Shape your future. Start here at 2020census.com. All right. Uh, you count, we count. It is essential. So you may ask, well, why are we talking about the census on a, uh, uh, a show that's about faith? Uh, well, in my faith tradition, you know, Jesus was part of the census. I mean, remember, Joseph and Mary took him up. <laughs> you know, uh, to participate in the census. It was important for Joseph and Mary, the parents of Jesus, that Jesus is in the count. So we can be having, you know, folk out here talking about uh, that uh, we ain't got nothing to do about that. Uh, and we also know, speaking from a black immigrant perspective, that there was a move to intimidate, you know, uh, um, um, immigrants from participating because of their status around citizenship. Uh, but the count as it is stated in the Constitution, is for everybody who is in the United States or within these borders. So that's a very, very important piece. And that was a win for us. And I remember Kirk and I, you know, uh, we were part, you know, of, you know, several of these community forums where we were, you know, educating and mobilizing around that to remind everybody, especially our immigrant citizen brothers, that, um, uh, that you, you, you count. You are important. We want to make sure that uh, your dignity is respected, you know, uh, around the resource and the representation. Kirk, thanks so much for uh, uh, getting up early and joining us, you know, today. I appreciate you, man, and um, uh, glad that we're in this fight together. And 
I'm glad to have a brother like you by my side, you know, uh, as you uh, fight the good fight. Welcome, welcome. Good to see you, man. Yes, thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Yes, I know we've been talking intensely the last couple of uh, uh, weeks around, you know, organizing mobilizing from the census. There is a new deadline for it. So you may want to just share about that deadline so that folk can know when that deadline is. And then let's talk about, you know, uh, uh, why it's so important for us to participate in the census, how we can participate, how can we participate in it, and the fact that, you know, South Los Angeles has always been undercounted, and we really want to make sure that that does not happen this time around because, you know, of the impact around resources and representation uh, around that. Kirk? Yeah, so... Um, <laughs> So the census, uh, it started on April 1st of this year, mm -hmm. and we were supposed to get counted, but as you know, there was a pandemic, there was sheltering at, sheltering at home, so there was originally a census extension, so we could get enumerated up to October 31st, and now this administration has made the decision to cut that by one month, so now the new deadline is September 30th. Now, this hurts communities like South Los Angeles because historically, we've been undercounted, because we face certain barriers that other neighborhoods don't have to face. So there's a digital divide, there's um, a, a lack of awareness, and there's a lack of advertising of the census in South Los Angeles. And this is why community-based organizations has taken the onus upon ourselves to really get the word out there. So, so far, we've been calling uh, all of our neighbors and all of the community and trying to raise awareness of the census and um, address um, something that has uh, the potential to be devastating, mm -hmm. um, not just with black and brown folks, but just with um, populations, people, uh, families with young children, um, people from different faith groups, um, undocumented individuals all across the board have been historically um, undercounted. Mm -hmm. And this is going to play out negatively when we talk about the rolling out of resources and even bigger um, something that we're looking at is the possibility of us losing representation in congress yeah. so a lot of folks don't realize that the census is how we determine how many your state's uh reps or how many reps your state gets in the in the house of representatives yeah. so if we have a short a shorter count then we're going to get less representation and as you all know california is one of the most populous states in america and this is going to be huge so um we, we're doing once again, we're doing everything we can to raise the awareness of our community to let folks know that these 10 simple questions um, have huge implications for the next 10 years. And we can't afford to go another 10 years without representation. If you know, if, if this summer is, is telling and if, if we're paying attention to what's going on, mm -hmm. um, every every single person needs to count. Every single person has a part to play because um, it, it's uh it's life or death. And, and this is a literal sense mm -hmm. um, our backs are up against the wall and we have to literally fight for everything. Yeah. Um, and, you know, but that's nothing different. You know, black folks, we've been in this position for quite some time and we are fighters and we are winners. So I know that the community is going to step up and do the right thing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we want to make sure we get the date out again. Uh, the deadline now uh, is September the 30th. You heard Kirk said, once again, this administration uh, uh, has plotted, you know, uh, uh, a strategy of exclusion. Uh, mm -hmm. And so even though the Department of Census, you know, uh, st uh, set the deadline for October the 31st, which is Halloween, you know, mm -hmm. uh, of course, the White House chose to put, in, put on their costume 
which of course is the costume of uh, racism and bigotry. It is a costume of white supremacy. You know, uh, they've put on that costume and said, no, we're going to move that up another month to September the 30th, uh, which is just, you know, you can get no more bolder, right? You know, and no more courageous than to say, look, we're going to do whatever we can uh, to make sure that we uh, affect representation, that we impact, you know, resources, uh, and uh, that we facilitate a disrespect to the humanity and the dignity, you know, uh, of citizens, you know, in this country or those who are present in this country. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, we want to let you know that it takes you no more than 15 minutes to fill out these questions. So, uh, so we want to encourage folk to make sure that you step up and step out. Kirk, I want to uh, uh, invite you to just break it down for us. When we say resources, right, what mm -hmm. resources are we talking about? Because these are, uh, you know, bread and butter uh, resources that, that, that really provide for bread and butter programs, you know, uh, in yeah. our communities, especially, you know, uh, our under-resourced communities. Can you say a little bit about, you know, uh, resources? Yeah, so when we say resources, we're talking about federal funded programs. All right. So everything from your SNAP to your WIC to your Title I schools, these are all federally funded programs and they're the funding is based upon the census data. This is very important to know. Even when we break down, we're looking at different hospitals and how hospitals do research. Um, if the CDC is looking for a hospital to to give funding for colon cancer, they're going to use that census data. And that census data is going to say, okay, well, there's X amount of black people or black men that live in this area. And we know that uh, um, um, colon cancer and prostate cancer has uh, a very high rate in the black community. So let's give funding to this, this uh, hospital in this area. So if we're undercounted, we're going to miss that funding. Mm -hmm. it, it's that serious. If there's a school that wants to um, advocate to have ethnic studies in their curriculum so the children will grow up with a knowledge of self, then they're going to look at the census data and they're going to say, look, we have a case to have these, these courses taught in our school because there's X amount of children from this background. So they, they need to have this course. So census data is so widespread and it's so important. And um, I just want to lift that. That's the only thing that can be taken from the census. So there's a, there's a level of privacy and security when you take it. Mm -hmm. um, you cannot look at people's personal census data for up to 72 years. Anything before that is illegal. And um, if you do, if it is released, if personal census data is released, it's punishable. It's punishable uh, with a, a, a up to a five-year prison sentence or a, a quarter million dollar fine mm. under Title 13 of the U.S. Code. So there's definitely protections in there. Um, and yeah, so we definitely want to lift that up because there were reservations around taking the census. Um, this administration was trying to put the, uh, a citizenship question on that right. to scare the undocumented community, which is, you know, completely unconstitutional. And we fought that in the Supreme Court and we won. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's one of these things where we want to encourage people to be bold about it, to be counted and to be seen. It doesn't matter if you're a citizen or non-citizen, if you're documented or undocumented or whatever race, religion or creed you are, you have to stand up. You have to be counted because this, this pie is being cut up into many pieces mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. you deserve a slice. Yeah. Okay. And this is all they're doing. This is why they're cutting it by a month. They want to undercount so they can keep the majority of this money. And that, so now, 
we won't have the resources and the revenue that we need to to live you know our our god-given rights and and our god-given dreams yeah yeah and we want to just say to folk that your completion of the census is direct resistance to the institutionalized racism uh that is emanating you know uh from you know uh, the white house and so many of these you know, uh, departments uh, that seek to uh, perpetuate uh, marginalization and discrimination, you know, uh, and that resistance, you know, uh, gives us the opportunity for reimagination. I mean, that's where the bridging and the connecting around all of this, you know, takes place. So, so it's not just filling out a form, it is resisting, right? And uh, it is giving the opportunity for, you know, reimagination. Uh, representation is also essential. It is critical, you know, uh, for us uh, because these are the individuals that represent us that will uh, pass legislation uh, to further, you know, uh, inclusivity, equality, you know, and equity. You know, Kirk, can you say a little about a little bit about you know how this you know will impact representation? You know, uh, as we you know invite folk into you know uh, participating in the census as an act of resistance and reimagination. Yeah, so uh, once again, um, each state is allotted uh, a certain number of rep representatives in the House of Representatives, which is half of the Congress. You know, you have the Senate and you have um, the House of Representatives, 435 in total. So each state gets their number of representatives to represent their state's interests when we're coming to making big decisions like uh, passing legislation. Now, the way this is determined is per citizen is is per citizen there's a there's a representation it, de, de, it defers from state depending on state represent uh the state representation mm -hmm. so uh maybe a state like california may get one rep per a hundred thousand people if i'm not mistaken i might want to it, it changes mm -hmm. so um when we're not counted when we're not counted in total totality we're going to lose those reps that we have. We can lose seats. Mm -hmm. Now, this is going to become big because now when there's votes that come out in Congress, you're going to want as many votes as you can get, right? Because that, that's going to just hire your probability of passing whatever it is that is important to you. So for me, and I'm looking, um, just speaking specifically as a black male, uh, repar uh, reparations is something that, you know, is very close and near and dear to my heart. I'm going to want as many people and as many votes as I can get when this thing, when this bill comes down, H.R. 40 being led by, you know, Sheila Lee Jackson um, in, in Texas. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's just an example. So once again, we can't afford to lose seats because if and then, and then look at this if we lose seats then that means another state is going to pick up seats yeah mm -hmm. will those seats go to a red state mm -hmm. now when they're they're coming down and you know they have a three strikes law what if they want to make a two strikes law mm -hmm. <laughs> all right what if they make want to make a one strike law there's a lot of this this thing could get out of hand yeah so this is why we have to continually apply pressure we have to continually hold them accountable and continually hold us accountable yeah. to make sure that we have the proper representation um, uh, when it comes to Congress. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and again, I mean, this democracy cannot get any more fundamental than participating in the census and voting, right? And we don't just vote because of what our ancestors sacrificed for, for us to vote. It's now up to us to vote for the future, 
So we don't vote because of the past, right? We vote because of our future. And, and, and that's very, very important for us as we, as we do this. You know, because sometimes people will say, well, that's something they did way back when. Well, guess what? You know, uh, Kirk has just, you know, uh, educated us to mm-hmm. realize, right, that, you know, you count. And because you count in the census, you become visible. Uh, respect is restored. Representation is guaranteed. And resources will be facilitated. And then, of course, if you vote, you know, uh, then you get to then vote in the representation that the census facilitated. All this stuff is inextricably connected, you know, in the work that we seek, you know, to do around. So I know, Kirk, uh, I'm going to have you back because this is a 10-week series. So I know I'm going to have you back. And we're going to, you know, uh, uh, definitely before the, the uh, September the 30th. And then mm-hmm. we're also going to talk, you know, around uh, voter registration, you know, uh, around that. Because we know there's a huge move there has been a huge move around voter suppression, you know, uh, and here we are, you know, uh, um, uh, with the representative John Ruiz having, you know, joined uh, the ancestral cloud of witnesses and, and, and we're still dealing with, you know, I mean, that was his life's cause around, you know, uh, the voting rights. And we still, you know, are dealing with, you know, uh, a very, very, you know, um, um, with a, um, a Congress, uh, especially, you know, uh, the Senate. Uh, that just, you know, uh, seem to, you know, uh, continue, you know, uh, to stall what needs to happen around, you know, voting rights, you know, uh, for us. Kirk, I'm going to ask you to maybe share some final thoughts that you have, and then I'll ask Gilbert to do the same. Uh, but I know, Kirk, we're going to have you back because uh, we're going to talk about propositions and all of those things that are going to be on the ballot. So I'm looking forward to these next 10 weeks, man. It's going to be on and popping, brother. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Any any uh, final thoughts from you, uh, Kirk? Yeah, definitely. Um, just, you know, this, this is going to be one of the most important elections of our lifetime. And this election is literally going to change the trajectory of our nation. Um, another four years of what we already have is going to be detrimental. Um, it has so many implications when you think about the makeup of the Supreme Court and the makeup of the Senate that's already in place. Um, uh <sighs> I can't, I can't, I can't even stress enough how important your vote is and how important your power is um, from a local level to the federal level. Um, get out there and vote. Regardless if you like the, uh, the politician or not, there are still propositions on that ballot and they need to have your opinion on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, real quick, and just because I'm a stickler, I think I said 100K for each rep is 30,000. So, okay. you know, I'm a perfectionist like that. <laughs> But um, <laughs> um, uh, that's yeah. what I, that's what I'm rolling with y'all, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, no, and that's you know, and and you know, Malcolm. Uh, I'll leave you with this with a Malcolm X quote. You can't go wrong with that. Yeah. Malcolm said, you know, treat your ballot like it's a bullet. You know, you only pull out a, a gun to shoot when you have a target and you're aiming. So if you don't know what you're voting for, if you don't know what you're shooting at, then put it back in your pocket. All right. And yeah. this is what we're doing. We have a plan. We know what we're voting for. We know why we're voting for it. And we know what's going to happen when we do vote for it. Yeah. So we're being very strategic. We're doing exactly what Malcolm X told us to do. And we are voting with a plan and with a strategy. So join us and use your power to fight back. You do not have to sit on the couch and you do not have to take this. You can resist and we will show you how. Yes, uh, sir. Turn your bullets into ballots from South LA to South Chicago. Uh, yeah, that's what it's about, and um, uh, and that's what uh, nonviolent resistance is all about. We know that we are up against a violent 
you know, uh, uh, regime, schemes, and systems. Uh, but, you know, we shall overcome. Gilbert, any final thoughts from you? Uh, and then uh, we'll, uh, we'll move towards conclusion uh, and set up for next time. Yes, absolutely. Um, I would just say, you know, plug in, plug into the movement, um, join in. This is, you know, uh, CocoSLA.org. That's our website. So if you wanted to stay in tune with all of the great work, amazing work that we are leading um, and that our members are leading because Community Coalition is a, a community driven organization and we really, uh, we truly value um, the voices and the input and the leadership of uh, our members. And so um, definitely tap in with, you know, CocoSouthLA.org, follow us on, all, you know, social media, Community Coalition. We're on every platform um, just to stay in tune with all that we're doing. Um, and let's, let's continue to build. Let's continue to win. Um, we've been winning big. Uh, it may not seem like it, but we have. Uh, and when you think about uh, COVID-19 and what's to come, you know, we're expecting things to get uh, a lot worse than before they get better. And so thinking about the eviction waves that are coming, thinking about the deaths, thinking about, um, you know, the spending priorities. So it's like right now we need to be fighting more than ever to make sure we're getting yeah. the resources to the people and to the community to prevent, um, you know, houselessness increasing mm -hmm. to prevent um death increasing um mm -hmm. overdosing like the whole nine and so uh right now it's, it's more time than ever to be involved and be connected um to the work and so coco is that organization um in mm -hmm. south central specifically that is doing um, amazing work uh, game-changing work and so uh, just plug in plug yeah. in Great, great. Thank you so much, uh, Gilbert, uh, 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 Kirk. Uh, love y'all, appreciate y'all, and glad that I'm on the front lines, you know, with you all. Uh, Community Coalition, their website is cocosouthla.org. Uh, their mission is to help transform the social and economic conditions in South Los Angeles that foster addiction, crime, violence, and poverty by building a community institution that involves thousands in creating, influencing, and changing public policy. And indeed, that they have done, and they continue uh, to do that. So uh, it's just been uh, a joy uh, to have you know, uh, those two brothers on the front lines, they'll probably be join us, you know, um, again uh, in these 10 weeks as we make our way to November the 3rd. Uh, as I said earlier on, it is a 10-week series where we're going to be, you know, looking at, you know, uh, intersectional convergence uh, and mobilizing, organizing uh, for equality, inclusivity, and equity. Looking forward to uh, going deep you know, uh, uh, around that. Uh, here at Faith Without Borders, we are all about uh, living at the intersection uh, of uh, South Los Angeles and South Africa, uh, the land of my birth and the land uh, where I live, uh, and keeping up with both, you know, those uh, uh, contexts. We want to uh, live up that on um, August the 16th in 2012, uh, a massacre took place in South Africa. And we want to lift that up because uh, right now what's going on in South Africa is what I call a perversion of liberation uh, because of uh, the extent of corruption, 
lack of transparency and accountability uh, that's going on with the current you know, uh, government and uh, just the, the disrespect of people uh, and the lack of resources you know, uh, as a result, uh, not just, just of uh, COVID-19, uh, but pre-COVID-19. And, and so we want to just uh, remember what happened on August the 16th in 2012, uh, and also the current president, Cyril Maposa's involvement in that, uh, because this massacre uh, was orchestrated at uh, one of the mines that he, you know, uh, has ownership in. Uh, and so that Maracana massacre, which took place on the 16th of August 2012, was the most lethal use of force by South African security forces against civilians since 1976. Uh, that's the massacre, you know, um, that took place with uh, our young people. Uh, These shootings uh, have been described as a massacre in the South African media and have been compared to the Sharpeville massacre of 1960. The incident took place on the 25th anniversary of a nationwide South Africa miners' uh, strike. So Blood Diamonds is not just a movie. Blood Diamonds actually is happening in South Africa, you know, uh, right now with the ongoing exploitation and marginalization, you know, of uh, miners. The killings took place at two locations roughly 500 meters away from each other with 17 people fatally wounded at each of these uh, locations. The vast majority of those killed were killed by fire uh, from R5 assault rifles used by the South African Police Service. The official figure for strikers injured uh, during the shooting you know, was you know, uh, 78. The strike was considered a seminal event in modern South African history and was followed by similar strikes at other mines across South Africa uh, 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 around that. And so we just want to today, you know, uh, send out, you know, uh, solidarity and prayers, you know, uh, to our citizen brothers in South Africa on this anniversary uh, of, you know, this uh, tragedy. Uh, and um, we believe that up until this point, you know, uh, no one has been arrested uh, in that massacre. Does it sound familiar? Oh, wow. Intersectionality, huh? Yeah. The uh, law enforcement industrial complex is alive and well, uh, even uh, in the Republic of South Africa. We close Faith Without Borders today, uh, reminding us all about this pandemic that uh, is challenging us, whether we are in South Africa or in South Los Angeles. Uh, my man, uh, the people's poet Mzwaki Mbuli, you know, sends us forth, you know, with, you know, uh, a word of uh, hope, a word of um, empowerment uh, around how we need to continue, you know, to fight COVID-19, be with one another, support one another. After all, we are beloved community, and this is a revolution as we continue our work together. This has been Faith Without Borders. I'm your host, Pastor Calvin Sauls. We'll see you next week. Behold the COVID-19. Behold the coronavirus. The vicious virus. A silent killer. Listen to the voice of reason. People choose life and not death. Life is precious. No one is immune from death and disease. Let reason and wisdom prevail. 
health and hygiene is paramount. Cleanliness is godliness. The road to safety has no escalators. Nations are in danger. The world is in danger. And called by lethal killer, a global pandemic, coronavirus, a silent killer. From China to Canada, America to London, Iran to India, Italy to Spain, Egypt to Nigeria, South Africa to Zimbabwe. Sanitize, save lives, and stay at home. Keep the distance. Stop the spread. Say yes to quarantine. Wash your hands. Identify symptoms. Become the eyes and the ears of the nation. Lawbreakers are a danger to society. They undermine authority. Lawbreakers are joy killers and patriotic. Obey the law. Never allow the devil to rent the space in your mind. Obey the law. People say no to chemical weapons. Say no to loss of life. Say no to manipulation. People say no to radiation. have spoken. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Love thy fellow citizen as thyself. Become patriotic. That was the voice of reason. That was the voice of reason. That was the voice of reason. 